Hello and welcome to today's live panel for the Shine a Light Autistic Advocate Campaign. Our topic this year is all around accessibility. And today our conversation is focusing on accessibility in healthcare. This is a hot topic. This is a big discussion area. And I am joined by three incredible advocates today, Dr. Bex Kanner. Dr. Bex Kanner's work focuses in health equity, specifically in inclusion for LGBTQIA patients. I have Mason Milne, who's joining us from the UK. Mason is an advocate and a Crohn's patient, and that is where his work and advocacy focuses on in healthcare. And our third panelist today is Janelle Johnson, who is a phenomenal licensed marriage and family therapist. She has Bridges Family Life Center that she co-owns with her incredible family in North Carolina. She is also the president of the North Carolina uh, Marriage and Family Association. We are going to have a phenomenal conversation today talking all about accessibility in healthcare. We're going to be talking about some of the barriers, the intersectional areas that that I think are such an important part of the conversation when we're talking about health equity. So stick around as we dive into this amazing conversation today. Hi, I'm Carol Jean, Lynn Identified Autistic ADHD Human, and your host of the Mind Your Autistic Brain talk show and Burnout Restoration Unveilers community. You're about to experience the new way to thrive as a neurodistinct brain and body by getting off the chronic cycle burnout loop for good. By unveiling your authentic self, defining what thriving feels like for you, knowing your burnout signpost, so those top 20 burnout warning signs are a thing of the past, and stepping into your best life as the creator and leader you are meant to be. Get ready, because this is where we go against the mainstream. Say no to outdated self-care tips, and we say yes to who we are in order to create an energized, authentic, peaceful, and harmonized world. Welcome to Mind Your Autistic Brain. Guys, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have each and every one of you here joining me for the conversation around accessibility in healthcare today. Welcome to all of you out here in the audience. Thank you for joining us. If you're on LinkedIn, if you're on Facebook, if you're on YouTube, we are so glad you are here. If you have questions um, or you have comments or something that comes up throughout the conversation today, drop that in that live chat comment. We will be able to see those. I'll be able to share any of your questions or any of your insights here with the panel today and even highlight that. So please join this conversation. This is our space. This is our place to talk about the things that matter to us in the autistic community and especially around what those things are in healthcare for us today. So thank you so much for Dr. Bax-Kanner, Bax Janelle Johnson, and Mason Milne joining us. So we're going to kick off this conversation and I love to ask this question to just sort of set the stage because accessibility can mean so many things to so many people. Generally, it's just the ease of use and access. But I would love to know from each one of you what accessibility and accessibility in healthcare means to you. I'm going to just kind of go in order of how you are on my screen. So Dr. Bexcanner, would you share with us what does accessibility in healthcare mean to you? Um, thank you, Carol Jean. Um, so when I think of accessibility, I think first of access. Um, 
literally the first part of the word. And um, access to healthcare, it's a big topic because it encompasses so many areas, not just disability accessibility, but ac accessibility based on gender, race, sexual orientation, gender identity, um, where you live, um, socioeconomic status or background, um, and uh, disability, whether that's physical or whether that's mental, mental health, cognitive, you know, neurodiversity, all of the things that um, people struggle with in the world. Um, I I wanted I wanted to mention you know that just right off the bat minority stress, um, which affects all of the groups of people that I or you know the the intersections that I just mentioned, um, which which is a health issue in itself, and so access to healthcare means all of can can you actually get to a doctor or a health provider can you do you have insurance in the united states anyway can do you have insurance in other countries with you know maybe nationalized healthcare system my background is in new zealand um you know some of some of those systems still you run up against access in terms of you know waiting times um uh geographic barriers i guess you, you know i might have a background in rural health which is also an accessibility problem in and of itself um and um and then there there are things that are barriers based on the fact that many of us find um that the healthcare providers don't understand people like us or don't have systems in their practices that accommodate many of us um you know for myself um I've been a part of the LGBTQ plus community, which is not a monolith, um, and it has changed over the years, but for decades, since the late 1980s. Um, and at that time, access meant, you know, sometimes lying about my, um, my sexuality or having assumptions made um, about that, um, about my needs based on those assumptions. I didn't know I was autistic. I didn't have some of the disabilities that I have now um, or didn't know I did. <laughs> um, and, and then over time, you know, other, other things have um, become barriers. I could probably go on way too long. I should let somebody else talk, but that's kind of the nutshell of um, what accessibility in healthcare means. Do you actually have access to equal opportunities to other people. Um, health, health inequities are, you know, huge, you know, if you look at all the literature, um, all the measures of health outcomes, um, way worse for many of us compared to more mainstream, I guess, normal people. I hate that word, but <laughs> whatever I know, that people means. People that have normal, right? <laughs> um, I, I always say the benchmark is cisgender, heterosexual, white men. I have to put it out there. Yeah. Thank you. For, <laughs> and thank you for really and neurotypical, um, able-bodied, et cetera. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And thank you so much for for really covering a lot of those different areas because it's it's not just, you know, 
urban, it's, it's rural and it's, you know, where are you, where are you living? You know, can you actually get someplace? And, you know, both of us, you and I both having moved so much, you know, in the last year or two, one of the things that I found has been a big challenge and you, you touched on this and I love it. Every time I've moved someplace, it's, I have to start all over with healthcare providers. And that is not an easy thing. That's, that's really stressful. And, you know, when we moved here to Kentucky and I, I finally, you know, ventured out and, and found somebody I wanted to go see after I asked around and, you know, that kind of thing. And it's like, okay, I disclosed my, my neurotype and, and a lot of my co-occurring health conditions, you know, POTS and dysautonomia and things like that. And it's just, it's almost like a deer in the headlights look. And they're like, okay, great. I don't know what to do with you. And then it's almost like they're, 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 they're scared or they're just, you know, I don't know. And, and it, it just makes everything that much harder when you're like, I'm, I'm telling you these things because they're important to know for communication differences. And so I'm then having to educate all the time around all of these different things. And that, that becomes exhausting. And yesterday, as I was talking about the impact of accessibility around burnout and burnout restoration, this is one of those things when you're constantly having to advocate and, and educate for everything to get your needs met. So thank you for all of that, Bex. Next in my row of folks is Janelle Johnson. Janelle, what does accessibility in healthcare mean to you? First of all, um, Carol, Jean, thanks for having me. I'm excited to meet um, Bex and Mason. Um, looking forward to hanging out with y'all today. So um, accessibility for me is really about forethought, um, thinking ahead about all the bodies and minds that are going to use the systems the environment, the uh, the services that um, someone is creating or recreating. Um, so really it's about um, being thoughtful, <laughs> being mindful. Um, and so um, for us um, at Bridges, when I started, I started Bridges almost six years ago. And so I knew I was creating a space specifically for black and brown families that are managing mental health challenges and trauma. So um, thinking about designing that space and the systems is thinking about what do these, what do these um, humans, these particular humans need in order to um, be able to access what we're providing. Um, and that looks like Thinking from long before the pandemic, we have to be um, hybrid. We have to have virtual and in-person services. A lot of mental health professionals weren't focused on that, um, you know, six years ago. But we started that way because we knew the types of folks that we were going to be serving. We knew we were going to be serving um, new parents and just the difficulty of getting to the office with an infant. So. Um, thinking about the materials that you have available in the waiting room. You don't want to traumatize someone while they're waiting for their session. Um, thinking about how you set up your website, thinking about um, when you produce videos, is it accessible for people who are um, blind and low vision? Um, just all the things. It's, so for me, it's really about forethought. Um, and, and also considering not just 
one part of the human. So we are all intersectional beings. Um, um, uh, so kind of like what's already been said, we have to consider all the parts um, and, and also how they combine. So the experience of a, um, of a disabled person that's not racialized is different from uh, the experience of a racialized person that's not disabled and is different from those who have those things combined in one body um, and all the other things. Those are just two examples because those are the two that I work with the most, but um, all the other identities and marginalizations that we experience on top of that. So yes, for me, I think primarily uh, forethought um, and um, strategy. That, you know, I, from the first time we met and had a conversation, I, I have just absolutely adored how you talk about just the forethought. And, and you know, I'm going to, I, I've told Janelle this and I'm going to highlight it again because she really has made such an impact in my world and in my life. She said, who's holding you accountable? And I think when we're talking about forethought and we're talking about planning and we're talking about, you know, being sure that all of the intersections and just people of, of for every background and in every experience to be, to have that forethought and to be inclusive and to be affirming, we have to be someone, we have to have someone helping externally hold us accountable. We have to also know that we don't have the perspective that everyone else is going to have. We need to go outside of ourselves. And, and I love that what you do in the world, Janelle, is, is you say, hey, I want to help be the person to hold you accountable. And I also want to help be the person that can add a perspective that you may not have as you're trying to be mindful in your spaces and in your businesses and in your application. And, you know, one of the things that I I find is, and I hear this from so many of my friends who are people of color when it comes to mental health care. I had a great conversation um, with Michael Peterson, and he is just beautiful. He's, he's, his account on Instagram is Michael the Starseed, and he is just, oh my gosh, we had such a great conversation. And, and he, we had met in Nexability with my friend Sydney Elaine Butler, and we were talking about intersections in the autistic population. And my friends of color, I hear this so often. And, and Janelle, let me know if this is something that comes up in your practice, you know, with working with families is the identification process to get any type of mental health care or any type of identification. If you aren't like within the box of what the medical model is, it, and especially if you are in an intersectional population or person of color, getting that identification for something that's autistic versus something that's, you know, anxiety or oppositional defiance disorder, all these other things really is, is a, a problem right now. The accuracy, because people are looking at, you know, skin color and automatically making assumptions around, oh, well, this is, you know, you just have these things that you can't possibly be autistic, right? Is that something that, you know, you guys have noticed? Oh, yes. Um, in fact, that's one of the reasons why um, we even I even wanted to become a therapist um, from challenges from um, childhood, watching family members and friends try to seek care, mental health care and not get the support that they need. And I decided at 15, like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go into psychology. So I've been studying psychology for a long time. Um, <laughs> so um, but but yes, you're you're exactly right, um, and it's unfortunate 
um, that that has been the case. We're starting to see some of that turnaround specifically for autism. Um, the CDC just released new data. Um, uh, one in one in 36 people are autistic and um, at, at the age of eight. Um, and the the um, the the most significant or the the populations that are being diagnosed most are black and brown people for the first time. Um, so we we knew we know that um, the, the face of autism is actually not a white person. Um, and so there's there's always been this this challenge in um, disability advocacy overall um, about that. Um, but now we're starting to see the data that actually lines up with reality that um, if you are talking about autism and you're not talking about a black or brown person, you're not talking about how autism actually exists most often in the world. Yes, and amen. <laughs> Love that we're having more conversations and that that the that what we've known is actually starting to show up in the awareness and in the data that we're getting out there. Because, you know, especially for my friends, um, you know, we've got uh, Ian that's going to be joining us from the Philippines next week in our healthcare conversation. You know, and I have a lot of friends from Malaysia and all in, in lots of different countries, you know, Indian things. And it's like, well, you know, black, brown, Asian, Pacific Islander. I mean, this is all part. A neurotype isn't just one person, you know, this one cookie cutter model. It's it's all people. And, you know, that one in 36, I think, is getting closer to our real number. I mean, you know, I, I heard somebody or read something recently um, that was coming out around that number of the one in 36. And people were like, oh, it's getting, you know, it's kind of like when we went through that whole um finally people are becoming aware of ADHD and they're like, Oh my gosh, every time you turn around, somebody's getting, you know, diagnosed with ADHD. And it was like, no, it's the awareness level. It's the fact that we're starting to see outside of just like this very broken and limited description of this is what this looks like and presents like so that people are getting that information to be able to go, Oh gosh, I understand myself better. I'm not broken. You know, that's, that's, big. That's big. And I think when we're talking about accessibility in healthcare, that's an important conversation I definitely want us to dive into. Mason Milne, thank you so much for joining us. You are an incredible advocate in the UK. We work in Crohn's area because you are also a Crohn's patient. And I love the things that you talk about and share. What does accessibility in healthcare mean for you? Um, and sort of how has that come? How did that come into your world when it comes to healthcare and access? What are some of the things that that have really stood out for you, Mason? Um, before I go into that, I want to say for thank you to Carol Jean for um, allowing me to come on here today. I think I think it's really cool, um, and hearing it from Bex and Janelle as well. I, I completely agree with all the points that have already been shared. Um, so what it means to me is when I think of the word, uh, um, what comes to mind is just making things easier, and, uh, compromising. So if something is a little bit hard. Um, try and make it a bit easier and in healthcare that seems quite difficult um, to do that um, like if, if, I, if we're speaking about maybe going to appointments as as, as myself being a patient of crimes so I go I, I'm in hospital I, I go for appointments quite a lot to the doctors um, and having to explain constantly explain the situation over and over again to different healthcare um, people it could be a person at, at, at the person that you 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 you're supposed to be going to. It could be a consultant. It could be anyone, 
And um, I think it's really important. Um, so when you get into the room, how, especially being autistic as well, how people are speaking to you, like their tone of voice, um, I, I, I always pick that up and you kind of know if a healthcare person wants to help you or not on that kind of basis of how they're speaking to you. Because um, normally, um, this is the really annoying thing. Um, because if I go to an appointment and because with my autism, get there on time, um, I'm on there on the door when I'm supposed to be there. And then I'm there an hour later, the, the consultant's running late um, and uh, I'm only in there five minutes. So <laughs> I'm in there five minutes and then, and then I'm gone. But the thing I think that um, I think like we say, there's so much, there's so many different people out there. Like we spoke about the, the, the different communities. Um, I think um, I spoke about this recently when I did a speech um, and what I said was that a lot of people focus us on as a as a as a group rather than a person on his own um, because they, they think we're all the same they um, and definitely not the case if we were all the same um, I don't think we'll be here now we, we know what we'll be saying <laughs> all the time and there would be no need for anything really but, but yeah, I, I, I always think that because not just with healthcare, with anything, I think it, it, it's that, that it, it's, it's like that. And I think just when, when we do like these panels and talking about it and, and hopefully it helps people out there and hopefully there are healthcare um, people in that field watching because it will help them. And then that they can even have take it in to the hospitals all, 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 all over the world so it makes them understand better because I you don't expect so when I go to places and, and I um, talk about my Crohn's I don't expect everyone to know what it is um, but the more awareness about it the more people understand and know about it and you may feel about anything when you explain half a hundred times you may get tired and get burned out um, about going on about the same thing over and over again, but uh, but by doing that, I hope that I think that the plan is, if it annoys someone, and you you'll keep on talking about it to them, you're doing the, you're doing a good job. It might be annoying, but at the same time, it's getting into their head, and if it's getting into their head, they'll they'll um they they, they might um go and think about it more rather than just going over it once uh, to keep uh, going and going and going. Um, so, yeah, that is what it means to me, just a better understanding, um, making compromises and, yeah, just making it a lot easier for us. I love that. And and Mason is a host of a podcast, which is really fantastic and has great conversations with patients and autistics from all over the world, talking a lot about the healthcare experience and, and what that is and advocating and, and definitely talking about, about the intersections of, of different health conditions along with, you know, co-occurring things as long, along with neurotype. And I love that. And, you know, Mason, you brought up a couple of things that are really big. Um, so I, I formerly worked in healthcare and healthcare administration and for one of the largest healthcare networks in, in the Southeast um, in the United States. And, you know, that was something um, within the, our cardiology department and our heart cath lab and 
you know, patient transport and environmental services, when you're in the hospital or when you're going for procedure, you know, amazing, you brought up something that I was like, oh, I so relate to this. And I, I kind of saw Bex and Janelle also sort of nodding that, that this was definitely a, a common experience. I think so many of us have had when you've had to repeat yourself to every single person you come in contact with. I mean, from your patient transport person at the front door, you know, your linen services, the person that's just checking you in at the admin desk. I mean, it, and from the autistic perspective, I mean, just for people in general, I think this is exhausting, but I think for us in particular, this is really draining. And it it's like, especially if we're talking about burnout, cause you know, that's my jam. We're talking about how, how many spoons do I have today? And by the time you've made an appointment or you've gone to get something taken care of, it's taken a long time to get to that point. And then you're having to not just explain everything, you're then having to repeat it ad nauseum to every person you come in contact with in the entire process, right? And then another thing that I that I think you touched on, Mason, that's really important when we're talking about accessibility, we're talking about understanding different neurotypes and communication within the context of healthcare. And that is, you know, from most procedures and, and from most appointments, and Bex, I think you could probably help me kind of talk about this a little bit too, from the physician side of things is, based in the United States for insurance, it's like, okay, essentially what we end up doing is we have to book this number, this amount of patients within this time frame. You know, Janelle, you can talk to this too and about the mental health practitioner side. And, you know, in the practitioner side, you may have 10 to 15 minute window and you have this number of patients that you have to see. And, you know, you meet, you're meeting all these practice requirements, you're meeting all these insurance requirements. And that doesn't allow a lot of processing time for folks who have processing differences. And you, I, I had to learn to do this for myself. I had to have a list of things written down because I would go in, we would have a conversation and it was got get derailed. So I didn't get to share the things that I was in the office for in the first place. They'll pick one thing. That's what we focus on. And, and your three or four other things, just make an appointment for each one of those and come back. And it's like, oh my gosh, I know, do you know what it took for me to get here in the first place? <laughs> Can we just not take a deep breath? Give me two seconds. I have had a physician stand at the door with their hand on the doorknob the whole time. Not even sit down, not even, you know, take the second to just let me know that I've got some space to take a breath and, and share what's going on. You know, that's that's a hard thing. And when you don't have processing time, and you're not aware as the person on the other side that, hey, I need to give the other person some time to maybe process this. Or how do I come back? You know, that's the thing is after I've had a chance to maybe think about what you've said, especially if you maybe gone over some test results with me, who do I contact to go over this once I've had time to digest it? You know, because if you go onto your patient portal, I, I had a friend um as she was sitting in her doctor's waiting off waiting room, she got a notification from her patient portal that her test results had come in and the test results were telling her she had cancer and no one had spoken to her. And this was sent to her without any context or any preamble or anything. And as she got into the doctor's appointment room in the back a few minutes later, she held up her phone and said, what is going on? I just got these test results while I was in your waiting room. And the physician hadn't even had time to look at it and had no idea. So, I mean, 
how are we coordinating? How are we communicating? What are the, you know, the technology is great, but is it helping us? Is it hurting us? How in this healthcare process, you know, is, are these accessibility things breaking down and what can we do as, as patients, as providers to start navigating these things? So as we're talking about barriers and we sort of kicked off this conversation in these different topic areas, I'm going to kind of go around the room so we can maybe talk about these things. Bex, what are some of your thoughts about this when we're talking about, you know, the patient care journey right now in accessibility? What are some of those barriers and, and, you know, what are the intersectional barriers that maybe we want other people to be aware of that, that you know and that you're aware of and want to talk about? You're muted. Yeah, they're fine. Um, sorry about that. Um, <laughs> um, so that's okay. Where, where did I start? So as you were talking, I'm thinking about those issues from you know the expression is both sides of the stethoscope. Like you, you know, it's kind of cute, but um, because the barriers and it's it's similar in New Zealand to the United States in terms of the time the doctor has and the pressures. It's not as bad. I mean, it's one of the reasons I moved there from the U.S. health system but it's still quite daunting. And that's one of the reasons I no longer practice medicine. And as an autistic person, as an autistic physician, I can't process those things in that time either. And I wonder, there's, I, think, I think we're probably overrepresented in a way in medical practice and healthcare as, as providers but perhaps not identified. <laughs> um, and, um, and some of the doctors that you see who might be considered to have poor bedside manner possibly are, are, are autistic, but that's not an excuse or a pass <laughs> for being a dick. Sorry for my language. You know, my, just as an aside, my blog post was censored. The words that I used, don't make assumptions and, don't, and be kind were not actually the words that go through my head. So um, <laughs> I'll just leave it there. <laughs> um, right, how many people are listening to this? Um, so as, yeah, as a patient, you know, I had, I, I had a doctor um, in New Zealand who was always on time. And because he was always on time, I always felt really pressured. And I take my list and I talk really fast and I go through these things. And I never felt like, I got really where I needed to be because I always felt so pressured because he was always bang on time. Um, and then I had another doctor who, um, so I switched doctors, somebody who was always running late. If your doctor is always running late, it might be because they actually take more time with the patients. And my, for myself, if I had somebody that I knew was going to have barriers to coming back for another appointment, I would go against, I mean, that thing that you talked about, you know, if there's, six problems on the list, make another appointment, talk about that problem. What's the most important problem? I mean, that's how we're taught as doctors to do things because that's how, you know, time management and all that, all these sorts of things that actually just make my head spin. But, um, but I know that I was going to have patients who would not come back or could not come back for whatever reason, you know, whether it's money, whether it's trans transportation, whether it's just, you know, spoons, you know, whether it's, 
anything, um, kids. I mean, if I think about all of the things, all of the privileges that I have that allow me to access healthcare, you know, rather than thinking about all the ways, the barriers. And then I think about many of my patients, because I've always worked with patients with lots of barriers and inequities. That's just the sort of work that I've always felt drawn to. Um, you know, people who don't have internet, people who have kids and don't have childcare, who don't have reliable transportation, who don't have enough money to put minutes on their phone so they can call and cancel an appointment if they can't make it. And then they're labeled as chronic no-showers or, you know, just problem patients. And, um, and in some cases dismissed from the practice or whatever. Um, I would try to make those accommodations, but then I'd always run late and it just got too much for me and I just couldn't take it anymore. Um, I still have student loans, but I've quit practice. So that's a problem. But anyway, so that's another barrier for from the physician side, but um, where was I going with that? <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it sort of goes both ways. And I feel like, you know, it's, it's been mentioned, you know, what Janelle said about the um, th thoughtfulness, the mindfulness, just, I, I like to, you know, when I'm talking to people um, or writing things to put yourself in the shoes of someone who maybe, maybe they're going to a foreign country where they don't really speak the language. Now, as doctors, we don't quite get that just about everybody we see is, you know, accessing some, a place with a foreign language. Most people don't speak the language doctors speak. Um, and then you add, you know, I just think about like, how do you make an appointment? Um, how do you get, get there? All of, all of the other things that we talked about. Um, and yeah, just trying to think about what it might be like for somebody who can't see or can't walk or can't talk or can't think fast enough or express themselves or finds that the waiting room is too noisy and bright or um, that making a phone call is an incredibly difficult thing. Um, and I just had this example of an experience a couple of weeks ago um, where I, I actually walked into my the clinic where I go to see my provider because it's around the corner from where I work. And that's much more comfortable than going on the phone. And I walked in and I met up with a friend who's blind um, and she had an appointment and she walked in to the desk and they handed her a clipboard with a piece of paper on it and asked her to fill this out. And she said, I can't, I'm blind. <laughs> And, I, and then I was standing behind her. I said, would you like me to help you? Because she was a friend. I wouldn't have probably done that with a stranger for various reasons. One is I don't necessarily want to assume people want my help or whatever. But also I don't talk to strangers, not because it's unsafe, but because I'm autistic. Um, <laughs> but she was my friend. And she's like, no, no, it's okay. Because basically it was just reviewing prior information. She said nothing's changed and she gave it back. But I was just like, that's unbelievable. Uh, you know, that somehow they didn't know that they didn't see her dog hanging out under the desk or whatever. But, um, and then I went in and I made my appointment and I felt really awkward because I had to actually stand there and say what the appointment was for, you know, and people in the waiting room could hear that, you know, that sort of thing. And then the appointments two weeks away, it hasn't even happened yet. And I have two weeks because the doctor went on vacation, which of course they're entitled to do. Um, 
where I have to worry about what I'm going to say and am I going to have enough time to say it and am I going to forget something and and I'm an overthinker and I'm then as a physician going to the doctor trying to solve my own problem and go in and tell the doctor what I need which isn't <laughs> really that useful so um I'm kind of rambling which is something I also do when I go to the doctor and then their eyes glaze over and so forth but um <laughs> so I hope nobody's eyes are glazing over and they're going off. No, not at all. <laughs> and, you know, no. Dr. Bex Kanner, you do a beautiful job. And I love this. Bex is also part of Mind Your Autistic Springs autistic brains, NeuroDrive healthcare team, and does a beautiful job of sharing stories of their own experiences, but also interwoven with that of other patients so that other healthcare providers can start to add that lens and perspective and understanding of intersectional population and the service of intersectional population within LGBTQ plus population. So if you need someone to come in and do a workshop or a presentation to help you have that lens, please contact us because Bex would love to come and or virtually come to your facility and help you with us. Bex, thank you for those insights. Cause you know, I don't, I think that's something that we all kind of, I think most of us tend to overthink the stuff because we want to make sure we don't forget anything. So I, that is so relatable. Janelle, what, what are, what were you thinking as we're talking about like processing time, you know, from both sides of, of the, the stethoscope, so to speak, it, it's sort of like that rep repetition, you know, what, what was coming up for you around this conversation in these accessibility areas today? Oh, wow. I was nodding my head a whole lot. Um, when you're thinking about both sides of the stethoscope for, for, for a doctor's reference, um, um, in mental health, we talk about things like um, self of the therapist and counter transference and things that are happening on the therapist side that impact what's going on with the clients or the families and, and vice versa. Um, so um, not just as a therapist, but also as a, uh, as a person with several um, disabilities and chronic ailments, um, uh, some of my disabilities, I'm kind of like what Bex was saying, they, they're they recently diagnosed. So it's like I'm new in the last like three or four years of having to go to the doctor a lot. Um, and before it just wasn't, and I wasn't going this frequently. Um, so I, I was nodding furiously because I'm like, yes, that's totally what it's like um, having to make appointments and the stress, the sheer stress of managing systems. I think that is something that, um, uh, and I've heard you talk about this, Carol Jean, about um, burnout for autistic burnout, about um, how uh, it's really a disability tax, what it's like to manage these systems that weren't built with us in mind. And so everyone's just like, oh, call this person. And then you call them and they don't have the answer. And they're saying, you need to call this other person. And then you call them and they don't answer the phone. And then they call you back at a time that you can't answer either because you're too busy like me or you're autistic and heck no, you're not about to just pick up this phone to talk to this random person at six o'clock at night after you've had a long day and you can't even put a sentence together. Um, <laughs> so, so then it's like this vicious phone of a game, a game of phone tag for a week and you're over it, but you need to go to this appointment. Like you have an ailment. So it's just, 
it's it's exhausting. Um, I think uh, systemic barriers are one of the things that um, really drive me to advocate and also um, do things the way that I do in my own practice specifically. Um, it's all about having multiple ways to communicate, having um, having ways that people can be independent um, or interdependent, whatever works for them, that don't really have to involve you. So yes, you should be able to go online and just make an appointment and not have to talk to anybody. Just go make the appointment. Um, you should be able to um, email, phone call, uh message like there should be multiple ways to get in contact with people um if you need someone to actually walk you through processes um step by step there needs to be someone that can help you do that um you just all the parts need to be there um i think uh specifically since covid one of the challenges that is newer, I think, but it's always been, but it's just more prevalent now, especially in the U.S., is um, lack of staffing. And so people are just overworked, underpaid over it. And you can't be mad at them because you get it. But then at the same time, like you, you need to be served, you know, you, you need to get to your appointment. Um, so that is definitely a, a, a a more prevalent barrier that I've been seeing for myself and for folks that I work with um, about just how how can I get in touch with someone? How can I get what I need? Um, why am I having to jump through all these hoops just to get an appointment? Um, and then once you're there, kind of like what y'all were saying, just making sure that you're prepared. Um, I think one of the best things about, and yes, I'm going to promo therapy, therapies for the strong. Um, one of the best thing about having a therapist when you are a disabled person, when you're a neurodivergent person, you're an autistic person, is you can work with your therapist on helping you get set up for success with your other healthcare providers. So we do this all the time. Folks come in and they're like, you know, I am stressed out about going to this doctor. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know what I'm going to say. And we've had sessions where we're working with a person or a family to like, okay, how is the conversation going to go? Let's practice the conversation. Okay, let's write down everything that you want to share with this person. Sometimes, especially if you're an autistic or you're not a neurodivergent person, you just need someone to kind of assist you with that process. That's why I think neurodivergent people really benefit from therapy. Um, and so you can do that with your therapist. And then you feel way more prepared to handle what's going on. Um, therapists can even like call on your behalf to um, make sure that you're getting in contact with the right people, um, depending on who you're working with, if they have the capacity to do that. So, you know, um, I don't know how I got off on that tangent. I'm oh my gosh, that was perfect. I mean, that is like really important. I love that you brought that because you know, that's if we're talking about processing time, having a therapist, having somebody that you have that might be a life coach, having somebody that you have maybe just in your relationship network so that you can process. 
you know, I'm a, I have an auditory processing delay, but I'm an auditory processor. So I really need to have somebody to, to talk something out with or, or sort of plan how I'm going to navigate something. And I love, love, love that you shared that and touched on that. That is really important. And I know a lot of the work that you do in the world, Janelle, is you actually go out and help do workshops and consulting and you go into companies and practices and you're saying, hey, let me help you see some of these things. Let me help you navigate this. Let me help you put these accessibility things in place because that communication and that access, we should totally be able to go online and just make an appointment, please. You know, for please don't make me pick up the phone and, and call you. Um, that is just, it is like, uh, no, just no. My voicemail actually says, when you call me, hi, you've reached Carol Jean. Please do not leave a voicemail message. I do not check it. I prefer that you text me or you can email me. If you're a doctor's office, you can leave a short message. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and especially when you're thinking about families, like um, uh, my household, between myself and my son, the list is long. The, the number of, the sheer number of medical professionals I have if you're counting my therapist, there's nine people on my medical team. You know, my son has four or five people and we're adding more. So when you're thinking about uh, like people who are typically people who are neurodivergent, especially autistic, we're two to 10 times more likely, depending on the, the, the issue, to have these other challenges on top of that. And so that means our teams are big and that means all these different people are contacting us and we're just one human and we're one human that has challenges with communication, having to navigate all those things. So spot on, like you, we, we, we as the healthcare system, what I advocate for in, in education and in healthcare and in nonprofits, I'm, I'm looking at, you know, how can you create systems and processes and policies that support your workers and the people that you serve in considering the most marginalized folks that are there. If you design the system for the most marginalized people, then everyone else will benefit tremendously. That's, that's how it works. But you have to have the most marginalized people in mind and having someone that has multiple marginalizations be a part of your team or be a consultant for you that can help you build a strategy for that for your organization is just going to catapult the way that you function in this progressively diverse world where the 85% the of people are, you know, part of this marginalized population. Oh, yes. Just yes to all of that, please. You know, and, and we just, we had uh, Brian Bird join us backstage. And so he's going to be coming on in just a, mu a minute. So I do want to give Mason a chance to take a few minutes to sort of speak to these things since he really kicked us off on this great topic of, of barriers around, you know, processing time and having to repeat yourself and all of these things as we're talking about, you know, the patient side of healthcare as well as the service side. And, and how do we do that? So Mason, I would love to know just sort of 
as as we're bringing this conversation to a close because we're getting ready to announce the award recipient for this year's 2023 shine a light autistic advocate campaign for their service to others and and brian bird was our recipient last year he is the founder and the coordinator of autism support community and he is just has been a wonderful mentor and guide and friend to me over the years and so i'm going to be really excited to introduce him in just a minute mason what would you say like if you're because you you kind of said this for a sec so i i want to touch on it and you were like when i'm having to repeat myself all the time and i'm having to advocate i'm having to explain you know what is crohn's to everybody that basically looks at me like glazed over what i say oh i'm a crohn's patient or you know this is what i do i'm autistic and all of these different things so let's talk about like your experience of burnout so if you were saying like, what is burnout and, and healthcare? How are those two things connected and how do they correlate for you? What sort of, how would you sum that up? They are, they, they are really connected because um, like you say, you, you, you go on and on and on. And um, like people will say to you, you, you don't look like you have um, like Crohn's or autism. And uh, unfortunately the world is based on what you look like. Um, so you, you, you'll be more, classified as disabled if you're like so you're in a wheelchair which which you are but you're also disabled if you're not in a wheelchair um and which so whenever i am in the hospital i have someone sometimes um called an a, a, a liaison nurse who will be with me to support me um and um and one thing that it's really hard when you're a patient and you see consultants and doctors it's really hard to trust people um uh, it's very hard because you it's your decision at the end of the day if you want to take a medication if you want to do a certain procedure um and it, it's really hard and um end of last year i did a podcast episode and we were talking i had um, um a healthcare pro um, provider and 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 also another chronic illness patient and we were going around uh, all these articles and one that popped up was where um, and, um, and how a um, professional with, with a patient that um, was unaware of what was going on in their life and what it was was the 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 doctor as such was on the computer um, going on I think it was YouTube or on, on TikTok trying to look up what it was and they and they were saying they knew everything so they weren't being truthful to the patient and i think that's really hard um in both in that situation in both ways because you as a doctor as a professional you don't want to say no to, to people but at the same time you've got to be truthful and one thing as well in hospitals that i think is is um which we really need more of is um because being a, a, a patient in Crohn's, say if I had a flare up or or something, you go automatically to the A and E um, unit, or um, and it, it shouldn't be the case. Because um, I, I always say it, and it, it needs to change. If one thing I really want to change in the the chronic illness community, um, because you have a flare up, um, you might, and it's not pain on the outside a and e focuses like if you've broken your leg and you go there you have to explain yourself even more which links into burnout you, you go to the person at the desk they say why well, you're here i'm here because i'm in a flare and then you're waiting 10 hours straight um and you're even more pain that you also at the start with and then you think is that which is why a lot of people don't want to go to a and e you want there should be another unit that is there 
um, and, and and things and really hard being autistic as well because you don't like I don't for me I don't like being with loads of people and it's really packed and really close contact and um and and it's really hard to get rooms that you can go in to just be there on your own and just have some some space for yourself um and that that's really hard and another thing about burnout is I think I think we, um we, we we focused on this a little bit earlier about forms um and the the thing about forms is which um like say you're going to a new practice or uh, somewhere and you have to sign everything don't you? you you have to sign everything you have to put your name you have to do that and then um and then what the problem is they don't give you enough time to do it so so um to say um uh, maybe a year or two ago was that a dentist and um they they tell you to sign everything in person, which I think is much easier if we do. If they say sign it at home, you 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 have as much time as you want, and it's all a big rush if you're in the practice. And then they say, and then you get called for your appointment, and then you also haven't filled it all in. And then they say, don't worry about it, you can do it later. But they you do they say that, but you'll never do that later because it, it, you just won't. It, like it, it we're not going to happen. So there's so many things with burnout and and healthcare, and lots of things that does need to change within uh, the understanding of it all. But yeah, I, I think burnout is really a thing that is there because you're always burning out um, about loads of things. Like it could be a whole topic that needs to be learned. So, so And like um, there needs to be more teaching, um, like um, training even for the people. So, because I always love it. Yes, I, yes, yes. Just, <laughs> just, just, just last thing, Carol Jean. I, I, I love it when people have chronic illness themselves work in the healthcare system i think that is the, the best thing because you 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 understand them like you you understand someone as a chronic illness yep absolutely yep. and i thank you so much for for hitting on those topics especially around the paperwork issue we're looking at you know what are those barriers where how can we um as patients and, and practitioners and advocates start these conversations. So guys, I am so excited to welcome to this stage, Mr. Brian Bird, our 2022 Shine a Light Autistic Autistic Advocate Campaign winner for the award for his service to others. Brian, thank you so much for joining us today. I am just thrilled to be able to have you here to help me present the award to our 2023 winner. But as we get started, before we announce our winner today, Brian, I would love for you to just share what does accessibility mean for you and to you because your advocacy work with autism support community is so powerful and so important and so needed and it does provide so much accessibility what is that for you my friend well yeah uh, firstly um hello everybody and um so nice to meet everyone on the panel and i, I must say i've learned so much just listening to you guys um talking just now it's fascinating <laughs> um yeah well for me accessibility I think when I got my late diagnosis at the age of 15, that was some 12 years ago, I um, I, I was diagnosed, uh, I was autistic, and that was it. <laughs> um, there, was no, there was no support, there was no, uh, I, I wanted to get back into work and I couldn't. And there's, there's all sorts of barriers and um, I didn't know anything about myself, I didn't understand the condition. All I know is I've been diagnosed with autism uh, my, both my lads are on the spectrum as well and um, I didn't know where to go and it was a very confusing time 
So in the end, I had to become my own support system. And I set up my original page on Facebook. And um, that kind of took off for a while. And then I went on to Instagram, which has been an absolute um, blessing for me. I've met so many nice people, including um, Carol Jean, who is, uh, I'm amazed, she always amazes me. Uh, the best advocates out there are absolutely brilliant. And then you inspire me every day. Anyhow, I was on uh, Instagram and I started to meet people from all over the world, really. And I started to get more speaking opportunities. And I must say, I'm grateful for all the opportunities I've had to sort of have public speaking, do this sort of thing and grow as a person, I guess. Um, so I think setting up a community um, and learning at helping other people is very cathartic. And to um, recover from a life of trauma, an early life where it was very traumatic, um, there's no better feeling than helping other people. And um, I think that's that's my reward when I can help people get their diagnosis or if um, there's one or two people who haven't been suicidal and I've persuaded them to um, think otherwise. All these sort of things are really important. And um, I realise how hard it is for autistic people to have to get into society, to feel part of society. And that's why the autistic community is so important. It really is a, a life source, an important um, resource for uh, neurodivergent people, not just autistic people, of course. So it's creating a platform there, uh, I hope is um, fully inclusive, but um, I, I am aware that we will always do better and try to include everybody in. So I don't know if that all makes sense, <laughs> but that's kind of um, just being there for the community and learning from the community is very important to me. And I think you just learned why Brian was our award recipient last year for his service to others. I think you just heard it from his own voice, his own lips just now. Brian, thank you so much for all of the advocacy work that you do. Thank, thank you, you for the mentorship and the friendship and the community and the kindness and the leadership that you have provided for so many of us. And for so many of us who have entered the advocacy space, you have truly been that guide and that leader that has helped to navigate some of those challenges that, that we have faced when you become an advocate and you start speaking out and sharing your experiences, you know, there are those things where we encounter that sometimes not the nicest or the kindest things that come back to us from the world. And you have been such a wonderful guide and such a wonderful leader and mentor in helping so many of us navigate sometimes those hard places in advocacy work. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For Thank all you, the work Carol. Thank you very much. <laughs> you have been such a wonderful friend and guide to so many of us. Brian, I am going to do the introduction, but I really want you to announce the name of our Shine a Light Autistic Advocate Campaign Award winner for 2023 okay. for their service to others. Our winner is uh, Janelle Johnson. <laughs> Congratulations, Congratulations. Janelle. We are so thrilled to be able to honor you and shine a light on the work that you do. So before I give Janelle a moment, I'm going to let her process and, and kind of digest this. <laughs> let me tell you a little bit more about the phenomenal Janelle Johnson. 
Janelle is a connection catalyst who brings helping professionals together who couldn't seem further apart using training, change management, and social justice empowerment. She is the co-owner of Bridges Family Life Center, along with her multi-generational family, where the focus is on re-establishing the institution of family in America. Janelle is an advocate for racial justice and mental health care. Janelle is also the current president of the North Carolina Association of Marriage and Family Therapy. She is a researcher at North Carolina State University, mental health volunteer, and a DEI consultant. Her focus is on solutions created just for education and healthcare leaders. Those uh, subject expertise areas that she works in is mental and relational health for leaders, inclusive intercultural connection, anti-ableism, disability leadership development, intersectionality and DEIA, perinatal mental health, work-life harmony. Janelle Johnson is our 2023 Shine a Light Advocate Award winner for her service to others. Congratulations, Janelle, and thank you for the work that you do in the world and within our autistic community. If you would like to connect with Janelle, you can find her on LinkedIn and through the Bridges Family Life Center website also. Janelle, congratulations and thank you for your service to others. Oh my goodness, y'all. Carol Jean. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm totally, I did not know this was going to happen. Thank you. Thank you for giving me this award. I am thrilled to, um, I'm thrilled to help the world see autism more broadly. Um, I'm, 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 I'm excited to uh, help people to understand that um, Autistic folks do all kind of neat things. Um, it's definitely not just me. There's we're out here doing all kind of cool things. Um, but I'm excited to do that specifically for Black and Brown leaders, Black and Brown entrepreneurs, um, Black and Brown um, academics. Um, that we we're we're out here, and um, a lot of times the work that we're doing is not, um, you know. Uh, celebrated or centered or, or things like that. So I like to highlight what other black and brown autistic neurodivergent and disabled people are doing in the world. Um, and, and, and that's a huge part of my advocacy. So I'm, I'm grateful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Shining a light on your work and the things that you are doing and the service that you provide to so many is my honor. And I, I cannot tell you how impactful the work that you do has been in my life and in my advocacy work because I have learned so much for you from you and I am internally grateful for that. You will be receiving your award in the mail. It is a hand-painted sunflower because that is the, the symbol for the Shine a Light campaign that you can hang. Brian, I know, has his, and he has sent me pictures and seems to, seems to love my painting because that I is what it. I do as my <laughs> hobby. <laughs> I love to paint. So that is one of the things that I do is my heart gift to you to thank you for what you do as I share a little bit of, of my passion and, and hobby in life is that I do a painting. And so your award is a beautiful sunflower painting that I will be shipping to you. So keep an eye out. I'll be contacting you to mail it to you. Guys, thank you so much for joining me today, for being part of this healthcare conversation. Amazing advocates in this room. Please reach out to each and every one of them. 
to Dr. Bex Kanner, to Mason Milne, to Brian Bird, and to our award recipient, Janelle Johnson. We are here to encourage, to uplift, to share, to help take your advocacy, be that just for yourself or if you are advocating for a specific area or group of people within your own world, we want to help shine a light on you. Reach out to each and every one of us. If you need burnout help, I'm your person. Come come check me out. I'm glad to help you navigate all of this because we know that that just tends to be such a big part of our experience. Connection and community are so important. As we close today, I have a wonderful link here that shares a little bit about a platform that I've partnered with called XXO Connect. And I'm live every Thursday. So this afternoon at three o'clock is our neurodiversity communication room where you can come and have neurodiverse and neurodivergent and neurodistinct connection and community over in XXO. Thank you to all of our panelists today. And thank you for being here and part of the conversation in our audience. Take care, guys, and we'll see you next time. Are you looking to experience healthier relationships with yourself and others while prioritizing your own well-being? Ready to remove layers of masking and get off the chronic cycle burnout loop? Mind Your Autistic Brain is a proud partner with XXO Connect. XXO Connect is a 100% live group and one-to-one video connection platform supporting your well-being through fun daily live rooms, connecting you to self, coaches, and community, including your ND community. Recharge inside self-care rooms, activate mind-body-soul connection in live guided meditation rooms, dive into mindset rooms with a former UFC MMA fighter, restore energy in burnout prevention and recovery rooms, raise your love signal with sex, dating, and relationship coaches, align and elevate clarity in yoga and energy healing rooms, experience deeper connection and healing in conscious community breathwork rooms, improve your relationship with money in financial wellness rooms, navigate life after divorce in parenting rooms, There's nothing like being in a room together, sharing energy together, supporting together, being coached together, healing together, feeling together, growing together. Live human connection every day, connection in every way. Living the whole human connection experience together on XXO Connect. Join me, Carol Jean Whittington, on Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time every week for Neurodiverse Connection, where we focus on burnout restoration, communication in our relationships, and so much more. Sign up today to join XXO Connect and me at the link in the show notes below. Guys, thank you so much for being here. Join us next Thursday for our final live Shine a Light Autistic Advocate campaign discussion on accessibility in education. We're going to be joined by an incredible team of advocates who are working in the education space, including Jackie Edry, Ian Rayan from the Philippines, and also my good friend, Corinne Gilmore. We'll also be talking about some of those IEP things here in the United States. We will see you next week, guys. Take care.